This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made For This podcast. If you're following along with the Find Your People book club, this week we'll be reading chapter seven. And now here's Jenny. Guys, we're actually going to talk about something that you're going to want to turn it off when I tell you what it is. So just hang with me because it's actually one of my favorite things in my entire life. This is the reason I believe that my life is what it is, like that I get to do what I do, that my kids are largely doing okay. Our marriage is fantastic. This is the secret sauce that I rarely talk about because... People hate this topic, but we are talking about relationships. We are talking about friendship and living in a village and committing to do life with a few people. And one of the greatest things that protects me in my life is the word accountability. Okay, I said it. It's real sexy. I know you're just like, ooh, I cannot wait for this podcast. It's going to be so helpful. It is. Just stick with me. Do not turn it off right now. Stick with me because it is actually probably one of my favorite parts of my life is that I am accountable to people, that I am accountable to a very small number of people. Let me tell you first all the benefits so I can, I'm going to do a little sales pitch here (laughs) because I realize this is not exciting to you when you think of relationships. You're like, I don't like people that tell me what to do. I don't want to have to do what people tell me to do. So why would I choose that? I don't either. So I get it. I am not naive as to why this is hard for people, but it is the greatest protection of my life that we live in deep community and that we are known and that we are accountable to people in our lives. For some of you, you're like, I've never even heard that word in relationship to friendships and to living in community because it is so foreign. It is just not the way our culture lives. But throughout history and throughout even most of the world today, it is exactly how most people live. (laughs) They are accountable in relationships in a small village. When you don't have a massive government over your lives protecting you, you've got to build systems and ways of living accountable in a community. And, and you've heard Jay talk about it, who, who grew up in the slums of Nairobi, and he talked about being on the other side of, of the slums, and people would say, I'm going to tell your grandmother on you. Like, they would, they would know it was him, and they would say, oh, you're going to get in trouble. Like, I'm going to hold you accountable. Even in the slums, like, that, there was an accountability structure set up because people knew each other, because people knew who his grandmother was. I just think that's precious, and I, I love that, to some degree, my kids live in a neighborhood where that proves pretty true. I Just yesterday, somebody sent me a picture of one of my kids walking around. Now, he, I knew he was walking around. He had gotten a big old bag of Doritos. I'd given money for that, so he wasn't in trouble for it. But sure enough, you know, somebody's just saying, hey, I just saw Cooper walking. And I mean, it's it, it, nobody was ratting him out. It's just if he was doing something bad, he'd have been caught. And thankfully, he wasn't. But that is the kind of world we're talking about, where somebody catches you, where somebody says, hey, that doesn't feel right. I, I think something's off with you you're not being honest, or you know what? You are in debt and you really cannot spend the money on that car that you want so badly. And that kind of knownness is a choice. We have to choose to live with that in our lives. And I'm telling you, you want this. So when we moved to Dallas, we were leaving behind deep community that we had had for years. We'd lived there 12 years. We'd started a church there. We, 
even though those friendships were spread all over town, there were a lot of people that had been and lived in our family and in our business. And that was great. And we had a pattern for that in our church. And then we moved and we had to start over. And I remember the choice of joining a small group was a big one. And if you've read about it in the book, you know, like we waited a little while, we didn't jump right in because we knew this was going to be pretty intense when we did. And sure enough, we, we jump into our small group. And as many of you have heard, which blows everybody's minds, we quickly shared our life stories, including mistakes people had made and big mistakes people had made and, and things that, that not many people knew. We shared all that in the first few months of doing life together, which bonded us quickly. And then soon after that, we shared our finances. Now, people cannot believe this, that we actually shared numbers. Now, I'm not saying this is a really safe thing to do without some structure that you need to commit to each other. Like, we're going to keep this confidential, and we are going to work through this together, and we're not going to be judgmental, but we're going to help each other live in a way that would bring God glory with the decisions, the financial decisions that we make. Guys, one of the most clear ways to know what you care about is your finances. So I'm going to start here because I think this is such a radical way to live, but it really has been revolutionary for us. So every year now in our small group, we've been together five years, we bring our, a spreadsheet with what we've spent how much we've spent on everything from clothing to food to vacation to electricity to car insurance. In fact, this year, the team looked, my small group looked at our, our financials for car insurance and they're like, why are you paying so much? Like here, here's a phone number, call this person. It helps. Like there's like practical help in it. But there's also just accountability as you're living throughout the year because you know like they're going to be looking at that number or they're going to see what we spent on things. And so- if we spend anything big that's out of the ordinary, we run it by them first. We talk about it. We're in each other's businesses and decision-making for that. It's There's no personal space. Another side of our small group that I think is fascinating is if anybody has a fight, they come to the group and talk about it, which even if you are better, even if you work through it, if you have a knockdown blowout fight that's, that's mention of, worth mentioning, not like just a misunderstanding or something in passing, but something where you really are at odds, you bring it to the group. And part of that is so that in the future, after you have even worked through that and you're fine, there's knowledge of like, this is a sticky point for y'all. Like, this is a hard thing I've noticed over the years, like that, that you kind of keep fighting about this. Like, what could we do to build something healthier so that you don't keep fighting over the same issue over and over again? All of this has been uncomfortable. All of this has been radical. And I, I would say in our, our church back in Austin, we were pretty good at this but not this good, like not this committed to sharing absolutely everything. And what it's done is it's given us so much confidence to run and to not feel stressed about the decisions we're making because those decisions are made with people that want us to spend our lives for the kingdom, that want us to make wise and good decisions. And we want the same thing for them and their families. And so it's just, I can't even tell you how it feels like living in a really safe, protected home. You're not alone. And, and when something goes wrong with one of your kids, they, they know your kids so they can help you process how to handle that situation because they have a relationship with that kid and they know that kid is different than their kids and, and doesn't respond to the same thing that their kids respond to. The old familiar cliche that it takes a village to raise kids, that is true 
And that is true about all the parts of our lives. It takes a village to make good decisions. It takes a village to stay married. It takes a village to decide where to go to college. It takes a village to decide what job to take or whether to move. It takes a village. It takes trusted people around you. Now, many of you are thinking, gosh, I don't have those people. And I would say, this is where it gets fun. This is where the village really changes from just your safest two to three to four best friends to looking around you for somebody maybe that's older and wiser, that you love how their kids turned out, or you love that that they check on you every time they see you and give you a big hug. And, and they don't even have to live in your same town, although I think that's obviously the best, but to find someone that can know everything about you, that you can tell everything. One of my friends that's single, she says, you know, I don't struggle with, <laughs> she, she's just super honest. She's like, I don't struggle with pornography. I struggle with Oreos. Like I will buy a whole pack of Oreos and eat it and I live alone. And so if I ever buy Oreos, I call so-and-so and tell them, hey, I bought a bag of Oreos. Like I need you to check in and make sure that I haven't eaten these in the next three to four days. And so I think it's just a sweet thing to think of your life and go, where am I hiding something? Where am I not accountable to anyone? Where am I living in bad patterns, whether it's Oreos or pornography or spending habits that nobody knows about? And I need to confess and I need to have other people that know what's going on. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle with those things. It's just that you're not struggling with them alone. And the people around you, hopefully that have a lot of grace and are safe people for you, are there to help spur you on and to help you live the full life that God has for you in obedience to the scriptures. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I do this. I do this with my small group. I do this with my mentor. I do this all the time, but I still struggle with my sin over and over again. So you might need to get better at holding each other accountable. And my favorite thing that I've ever heard when it comes to this was actually an answer that Jonathan Pakluda, JP, had on his stories for his Friday questions. If you don't know about JP's Friday questions, you need to go follow him on Instagram right now. And every Friday, he answers as many questions as he can from the thousands of people that send him in about everything, anything and everything. He's just so, so good at it. So one of the questions he got asked was, how do I stop cussing? And his answer was so brilliant. It was, pay your accountability partner $1,000 every time you cuss. (laughs) He was like, you will stop cussing. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. I just think Yes, there needs to be real consequences. Like you need to not want to do that bad thing anymore because you it costs you. It, that's the problem is a lot of sin feels good. It has an immediate reward. And so you also need, if you're holding yourselves accountable with your people, you need an immediate loss, something that you lose, that you don't want to lose to cause you. I mean, it's it's training behavioral therapy, right? Like we do this with our kids, but we probably should do it more often with ourselves too and to discipline ourselves and to not just share our struggles over and over and over again where nothing changes. You got to fight for each other. You got to say, hey, when you get in that precarious situation, you're calling me and we're going to do this together. Like we're going to sing. <laughs> whatever. Like find ways to fight sin together and to be creative about it and to cause thriving to happen because it shouldn't feel like judgment. Again, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this isn't about some guilt trip that you're giving each other so that you quit sinning. That never really works. It's running together on mission, which we're going to talk about next. And as we're running, we're throwing off our sin and our burden. And we're wanting to fix our eyes on Jesus because. We need him for this race that 
that we're running and we're doing that together. We're doing that in relationship. We're not doing that alone. It's such a a beautiful way to live. Hebrews 12 is the theme of my life, that I would run the race that God has set before me, the good works he prepared in advance for me to do, that I would run that out, that I would throw off the sin and the weight, that I would fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and that all that would be happening simultaneously together with people that he's given me to run with. And it's such a fun way to live, such a fun way to live. And yet it's hard too, right? I mean, we we do feel many times stuck on the side of the race that he's called us to because we're entangled in burden and sin. And so what accountability does is it's those people in the race saying, hey, let's go, let's go, get back in. Don't give up. I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll bandage that, that hurt for you. I will carry it with you. I will, in fact, just lean on me and I will, I will help you keep going for a while until you can run on your own. Or I will walk through this addiction with you and, and help you figure out what you need to get back in the race again. And people like that, that is how, that's what we're craving. That's what we want. We want people to run with, to run this short life with and to cheer each other on and to celebrate each other and to not just hold each other accountable for the bad things. Guys, one of the funnest things we do is we celebrate all the good things. When I finished Passion this year, like my whole small group, I came back home and they wanted me, they put me in the middle, the guys and the girls, all the couples. And they were like, Jenny, we prayed for you. We want to hear everything. And they'd all watched it. And yet they just wanted to hear my experience. They wanted to hear what it felt like and, and what I went through. And they just celebrated. They were giggly. It was so cute. Like some of the guys in our group are like 50 year olds that were 50 year old men just giggly at what God had done at Passion with all these college students. And so it's not just holding each other accountable for the hard things, it's holding each other accountable to celebrate and holding each other accountable to high five and to be grateful for what God has done. That is the kind of life that we want. I think about Rwanda and Pastor Charles, and I wrote about this in the book that there is this sense that they're responsible for each other. We belong to each other is, is a saying in Rwanda. And I, Pastor Charles has told me that parents will adopt kids into their family that don't have what they need. And they don't ever officially do that. They just end up living with them and, and parenting them and taking care of them. And that's the kind of world we want to be and build in our villages is just, we got you. I'll take care of you. You can come over and be here as much as you need to because your family's going through a hard thing. Or you're going to be part of this trip that we're taking as a family. In fact, I, I would encourage you, if you've never had a mentor, go pick your favorite person that's at least five or 10 years older than you and say, I just want you to adopt me. I just want you to bring me into your life and your family. And I want to know how you live. And I want to watch you live. And I want to sit across from you. It's called discipleship. <laughs> Again, a lost word that, that we've forgotten about that that changes everything for us. To follow someone as they follow God, to follow someone as they live a life of godliness because you want to become like them. They're not perfect. And even in that, you're going to see them fight and you're going to see them be frustrated. You're going to see them do things that you think, yeah, I don't want to do that with my own kid or I don't want to do that when I get married. But watching people make mistakes is actually probably one of the greatest ways you can learn. And, and someone humble enough and open enough to let you into their lives and say, hey, come follow me as I follow Christ imperfectly, and you can see my fights, and you can see me get frustrated, and you can see my messy house, that is actually more helpful than someone teaching you a Bible study, than 
someone telling you what to do when you have a problem because you're going to learn how to live, how to follow God. And so accountability is so much more than just getting your hand slapped when you sin. It's it's walking with other people that that are older than you and wiser than you and and learning from them and living a life under people that can tell you the truth. Now, I can't bring up this subject without bringing up local church because there's such a clear biblical model for accountability to local elders. And the reason that was true was because the way God set up the church was little groups of people in towns. You see throughout the New Testament, Paul writing letters to the church of Corinth, this idea that in Corinth is a group of believers that are taking care of each other and doing life together. And this is what they're struggling with uniquely, and this is how they can live better together. So these letters and these local churches were the places that they processed together how to follow God together. And so you need this. This is a given in the life of a believer that you would be a part of a local church. And one of the structures laid out in scripture of accountability is if you sin, if you go off the rails, that the local church, the elders would restore you and and say, hey, it's not okay that you did that, that you're having an affair or that you're choosing to sin over and over and over again. And And so that accountability is actually supposed to serve as a protection for that individual, but also for the name of Christ, right? When a believer is just sinning and sinning and nobody's stopping them, it's not good for the name of Christ. And so this idea that a group of people would shepherd you and bring you into this family of a local church and and take care of your needs when you have them and to walk through your good times and your hard times with you and to call out your sin if need be, that is a beautiful gift. And know, like all families, it can often be broken, and it can often be so broken that you think, I never want to be a part of a church again. And I would just say, God blesses it and honors it, even if it's messy and even if it's hard. That choice for us, we've always belonged to a local church. We've always submitted to our elders and our authorities, and that gift has protected me in my life. And I believe a supernatural protection and power has been over my life because I've made choices to live accountable, to live known, to not have secrets, to place myself in under submission to people that can call me out or say, you know what? I didn't feel good about that decision you just made. It's never comfortable, but it is protecting me and it is helping me get home, hopefully still with my faith and my reputation for Christ's sake intact. I mean, I don't, I would not trust myself if this was not in place. And I don't think you should ever trust leaders that are not accountable to someone. All leaders, all humans need this. We are all fallen and we are all in, in need of grace and we are all in need of accountability. And so to expect that from the people that you follow, who are they accountable to? That should be the norm as people of faith. But it's got to be true for all of us. It can't just be true for the leaders. We all need this. We all need someone that can grab us by the collar and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going that way. (laughs) You're not going that way. I've needed it a lot in my life. And I'm really grateful for the people that play that role, even if some days they annoy the crud out of me. (laughs) So here's the deal. We want to hear from you. And Chloe's going to share with you how to text us, how to share with us your stories. I'm reading them all. I'm so moved. Sometimes I reply. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes Chloe replies. We always say, if there's no name, it's me. I'm replying to you. 
But I just want to say I'm reading them and I'm so encouraged by your stories. So share with us your stories on text. Chloe's going to share with you how to reach out and text us. So ready? On your phone right now. Open up your text messages and send the word podcast to the number 214-225-6267. You will be in our, what we call the texties. It's our text message best friends that we text and Jenny will send stuff, send videos, send pictures, like exclusive stuff just for you guys. Text the word podcast to 214-225-6267.